Greetings. You're listening to the Match Mary Mate Show, where black women learn how to get their love lives together. Here I guide you on your dating and relationship journey, empower you with feminine presence, power, and charm, teach you how to navigate and negotiate your needs and desires with men. I'm your host, your girl, Joyce Robinson Myers, and welcome to another episode, Love Bucks. We've made it to the end of our experiences season. I designed it to help you unlock your personal power and build a stronger sense of self with seven select stories I've curated for you. I hope I've done that. This is our seventh and final story. You're listening to episode 21 of our regular season titled Her Inevitable Divorce. And I have one of my clients in the studio with me today, the wonderful Takara. She's sharing her story from meeting her ex, getting married, and then deciding to call it quits. But first, let's begin with the power of affirmation. We start every episode with an affirmation as a way to center self, listen to the body, and honor our spirit. Ask yourself, how are you today? What moods, feelings, or emotions come up? Use that energy to speak life, wholeness, and healing over yourself using the power of your own voice. Speak it into existence with an I or I do. I do what's in the best interest of me. I do well when it's time to move on. I do life joyfully and truthfully. Hey y'all and welcome again. Ladies, are you ready to have a chat about when I do turns into an I don't? Listen, I know from firsthand experience how troubling it can be to upend your life and come to grips with the fact that your vows have lost value and meaning. And no one really prepares you for that. What I've learned in sitting with divorced women, at least of the millennial generation, is that it takes more than faith and good-hearted will. That energy is often charged into those vows, and you hope it'll be enough. Child, it does not work that way. Now, one of the hardest parts of being married is how much trust you store in another person and how much you rely on them to be who they said they were or were going to be and to do what they said they would do. When a violation happens there, especially in a way that it happened with me, it blows up the whole thing. You don't plan on that. It just is what it is. And you're forced to deal with it the best way that you can while stewing in an alarming amount of pain and transition. Seriously, it's amazing that anyone makes it back from divorce. Takara and I do have something in common here. 
We value healing and therapy and went through that process to restore our wholeness. We value self-development and coaches and hire the necessary folk to help us redesign our lives and get what we want out of it. And probably my most cherished of all, we learned how to retail, rebrand, and reinvent. One skill my mother has taught me is to never shy away from retelling your story or reinventing yourself, that my story and my life belongs to me. And I can do what with it whatever I want and tell it however I'd like. She's shown me that it's okay to have versions of self and to not be afraid to allow any one of them to come to surface in its own time. I choose to tell my story joyfully, but truthfully, and Takara shares that ideology with me. She'll tell you that she reframes her story unto her good and lets the heavy or ugly parts go. I respect it because honestly, it's not too common to meet a Black person who does not over-identify with pain in some way or heavily attach themselves to their trauma. Now, we all have aches and pains, so that's not really unique here. And I wish we lived in a world where they didn't exist sometimes, but since they do, the power lies more in who you decide to be and how you choose to tell that story. And for me, I love the level of discretion and regard that Takara maintains. She gives you just enough to trust her and to learn from her without airing out her ex or sharing too much of her business. Everything cannot be for public consumption. And as a woman, some things, especially your own story, should be reserved just for you. Takara and I choose to tell our stories to help Black women. We want to see them move further along in their personal and love lives. And I am honored to have her here today. Now, this interview is a bit different. I don't have a list of questions to ask per se. Instead, we're going to take it all the way back to third grade and share a simple BME story. Y'all remember that? That's beginning, middle, and end in case you need a refresher. Takara is going to share the major events in story order from her meeting her ex-husband to divorcing him to the new woman she's become through it all. I want to aid in the healing of gender relations between Black women and Black men because I am learning through my coaching practice that when we have the proper relationship education, including instruction, application, and community support, it produces safer and happier and smarter dating decisions that improves the quality of our relationships as we enter the dating market to match Mary and mate. Because why y'all? Black love matters. And we're in much need of some Black family power restoration. Hello, Match Mary Mate audience. Today, I'm super excited. I have a guest speaker. You all tend to love those. I have the lovely Takara Davenport with me. So I'm gonna introduce her in in just a minute, but 
Let me tell y'all how I know Takara. So Takara is a Match Mary Maid client, has completed the course and is in um, group coaching. Group coaching is one of my favorite things because I really get to um, learn my clients, who they are, what they want, and how they are navigating and going about said experiences. Takara is a little different because she's not just a dating woman. She's author, speaker, all the things. So I wanted to have her on, not just to speak about her own dating experience, but to also give us gems, give us tea about her own life story, which we're gonna get into in just a bit. But let me introduce her. So Takara is an author, speaker, and life strategist. She has made it her goal to help the frustrated professional woman redefined success for herself after discovering she's been living life for others. We call that people pleasing and doesn't know who she is outside of her titles. Takara believes you can have the life you want while embracing fun and maybe even becoming a little irresponsible. Y'all see why she is on the show a little bit, huh? Takara is the host of A Letter to My Sister podcast, where she discusses all the things that she wishes she had known surrounding self and relationships and has a book by the same name. And listen, y'all, I read the book. I have my copy. It's good. It's, it's one of those books you buy and you just let circulate throughout your sisterhood group and you talk about it at different stages and different places and when it becomes relevant and just all the things. So welcome, Takara. Thank you, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you. Okay, girl, give us the beginning and then we'll segue into middle, we'll segue into end because she really does have a story that's best set up that way. This was the beginning, this was the climax and this is how I knew it was over and I got out of there. I'm also happy to be sharing with Sakara because most of my clients are single women, meaning they've never been married before. And I do have a few who have been married and are divorced and are back out there, Sakara being one of them, but I don't get this this often. And you're my first client who has a divorce under their belt, we'll just say, and actively dating on the show. So I really, I really think that listeners can hear like from the Ruta to the Tuta, as we say in the South. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really looking forward to, to hearing that. So let's tell a story that starts with you meeting EH, if you've read the mm -hmm. book, <laughs> which stands for ex-husband. So let's tell a story that starts with you meeting EH, entering into a relationship and deciding to marry him. Let's call that the beginning. Then I wanna transition you to your separation, your decision to divorce and any therapy or whatever you needed to do in the process to like heal and deal, as I like to say. Um, that'll be our middle, I guess our climax. I can't help, now I'm thinking Usher. Going nowhere fast. Right. <laughs> we reached the climax, y'all. Okay, and then we're going to close out with, let's call it the healed version of Takara. Takara post-divorce. You know how they say, like, the calendar is split up? Uh, 
between BC and AD. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. We gotta do that. Like instead of AD, which what is some Latin phrase, something uh-huh. Dominii or whatever that Latin phrase is, but it's gonna be like Sakar PD post divorce. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Um, and then like your return to dating and your new book that's written as a love letter to your baby sister. So you, can you follow that, that BME that I just did? Yes, I can follow. Perfect. I'm picking up what you put down. I got it. You come on space player. (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely love it. All right. So let's get started. The beginning, ma'am. Give us the deets. All right. So the beginning, it. We had a very interesting beginning, so I'll say that. Both of us were military at the time, so we're both in a foreign country, Korea, and MySpace was the thing. And <laughs> yeah, you see where this is going already, right? Oh, you're telling our age to <laughs> stop it. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, at that time when it was a lot of people in a different country, that was our way of connecting kind of with one another. And so I... I don't even remember how we came across one another, but that was just how we started talking. So this was, and I got to give the year to give context. So this was in 2006. Wow. So we, this, we only probably chit-chatted for a year. There was, there was no dating. There was no romance. There was no nothing. It was just like, oh, this is a really cool guy. And so we just. Oh, y'all were just talking? That's it. That's it. Oh yeah, and we so, know that. Yeah. And so we probably only hung out maybe, maybe five times the duration of that time there in Korea. But then I decide to go to nursing school in Maryland. And funny enough, I actually went uh, there so that I could be closer to another ex, just in case. I was like, let me see, let me see what's going to happen. And <laughs> Okay, wait, let me pause you. <laughs> Because I forgot to tell listeners that our stories are similar enough where I'm going to infuse some things that parallel in my life too. But I didn't know we had that one in common until you just said it. Really? (laughs) Yeah, because so I went to school. I started school in Dillard University in New Orleans Mm -hmm. and then Katrina. So we were left to figure out what school would be on the second half of our educational experience. Mm-hmm. And I had this little high school boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Dre if you're listening. I had this <laughs> high school boyfriend. We were still like we were in love, puppy love, mm-hmm. um, as teenagers, and uh, we stayed in contact enough. So when I needed to find a second school, I just called him and I was like, "Where are you at?" No, I did that as a friendly gesture. I could just trust his opinion to quickly get me someplace because Katrina. Right. However, there was a small part of me that was like, and if we just happen to repop off, we'll be in the same state. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You, same you made, you same frame of mind. Like that? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> same thing. Um, because for for the one that I was getting closer to, he and I were also um in Korea at the time. And we were actually together. We had it, we had a great relationship. I feel like then it was just distance distance. Mm-hmm. And it was a little bit of immaturity on my end, just being completely open and honest about sure. that. And then so um, once I moved to Maryland, now we've transitioned over to Facebook. And 
Back when you needed the the college email to be on. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So now I'm on Facebook. I'm telling my friends, "Ah, I'm back in the U.S. Holla at your girl. I'm in Maryland. So, um, and plus I'm going and the army is letting me go to nursing school. They're paying for my education. I'm, I only have to focus on nursing school and that's it. So, uh, EH finds me and he's like, oh my gosh, you're here in Maryland. So am I. And I'm like, oh, really? Well, that's awesome. Maybe you can you can show me around. And so um, he makes that happen super quick. He shows me around D.C. area. We have a really good time and we're just kind of hanging out. And then from there, we started talking a little bit more and a little bit more. And then I find myself actually looking forward to his phone calls. And I'm like, do I like this man? I must. I'm looking forward to his phone calls. So Fast forward, we do end, we started dating, I'm going to say around the holiday. So let's just go with November. So we started dating in November. In between that time, he decided to uh, move back down South. So now we're in kind of a long distance relationship, although we're not in a relationship yet. I'm like, is it an official relationship? Not yet. No, okay. (laughs) Not yet. When he, we were talking a lot, he moved. And then in November, we made things official. I was still in Maryland. He was still down South. And then he decides to surprise me one day on a Super Bowl Sunday. And I get a knock on my door and it's him. So he drove all the way from where he was to Maryland to surprise me. Now we had these hypothetical conversations about like what would happen if he just, you know, popped up or decided to move back to Maryland. Again, I'm thinking they're strictly hypothetical. I'm not thinking that he's making any plans about it for real, for real. But he does. And so um why why do you not think he's serious in his planning? To me it was just like a lot of logistics. And I'm like, you know, how do you just up and move somewhere and just you know, I'm like, you got to have an A B C D E F G kind of thing and he's like spur of the moment free spirit type of person. So my organized mind could not compute somebody just deciding to up and leave. And I'm like, oh yeah, hypothetical. And these people are always married to each other. <laughs> <laughs> the free spirit and the extreme yeah. planner. <laughs> yes. Very free. Very free. And so he that that was February February. And he knew that I had a very strong conviction that I did not want to live with anyone before marriage. That was my conviction then at that time. And so as soon as he pops up at the door, I would say a week or two weeks later, he pops the question. And I'm like, you know what? We have a we have a really great relationship. We haven't had any issues. We seem to get along very well. Um, I really do like him. I love him, all the things. And so at that point we're engaged and then we ended up getting married in August. And so it was kind of quick, you know, you could kinda say. Kind of quick. <laughs> November kind of shoots off a relationship. Mm-hmm. And by August, the following year, you're married? Correct. Yeah, I was 29 at the time that we got married. Like over 35 can make moves like that. And it's probably you have enough skill, enough experience, mm-hmm. and enough sense to even mm-hmm. in nine months be able to make a decision one way or another and it work out for you. Right. But prior to that, I get a little nervous. Like, I don't know that you have enough skill and experience 
to make this type of decision this quickly? Mm-hmm. Oh, I definitely didn't have it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I didn't know that at the time. Sure. Of course. Um, so I did know that we don't know everything, you know, so we did do a lot of marriage counseling. So we had like, we did like this, this premarital assessment kind of thing with, with, uh, cause he, he also in, joined, joined the church that I went to. And so we did this premarital assessment super long, the longest assessment I've ever taken in my life. I feel like it was about 200 questions and I'm not sure what happened. We didn't do a follow-up with that, but we knew the places that we differed and we knew the places that we needed to work on. And we knew the places that we were very strong in based off of this assessment. Interestingly enough, those are the same things, the places that we needed to work on were the reasons that we got a divorce. Same. I think I took (laughs) the same um, assessment that you did or something very similar because it gave us all three of those data outputs that you just mentioned. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we got to have a whole other kind of conversation. <laughs> and I I want to bank it towards the end. I'm just saying it now so we don't lose it. Mm-hmm. And that is the church as it relates to these things. And I know I read your book. It does have religious undertones. You confess that and proudly. And I respect that. Most of the time I'm having a conversation with single women about how either let's put church hurt aside because that's Mm -hmm. a whole other but i'm having a conversation church hurt aside with single women saying i feel some type of way that i was told to be the good girl to wait to do these things i waited i'm still not married Mm -hmm. or i'm still a virgin and i desperately want to know what sex is like but still Mm -hmm. inside of marriage or they are saying the the church made me feel so ashamed about sex i don't know how to have it and enjoy it even yeah. inside of a relationship or or a marriage mm-hmm. um what is the other one that they get they just generally have really conflicting and unsettling realities with either what their life looks like and what they mm-hmm. believed or some belief is governing or controlling their action or or their mindset in a way that they don't know how to undo, like it ends up being a lot. But we're usually speaking about some pain associated with not enjoying sex or not being married. I did all of these things, I should be married. And mm-hmm. sometimes there's a little hint of jealousy with, I know women who didn't do half of this, who didn't wait half as long, who didn't, mm-hmm. and they are married and, and live in their best life. Yeah. However, because most of my clientele are not previously married women, what we don't have a lot of conversation about, which I can have with you and want to is, Listen, church don't get it right in marriage either because they either don't prep you, don't, you know, prepare you adequately, mm-hmm. or when there is a premarital session, the the assessment might be long, but the the time spent in actually not just preparing you for this institution called marriage, but making sure that literally you too, Takara and EH 
mm-hmm. right? Can can do this okay. within the within the confines of your faith. Um, or there's no follow-up with mm-hmm. what you have done and with who you are, um, and very little availability for treatment as you just navigate marriage. And I meet mm-hmm. a lot of women who have previously been married the church way, who are now divorced, who say something like, oh, well, they didn't really prepare me. Or in realizing all of what marriage is now being in it, they're like, oh, well, they weren't really available to whatever, whatever. Or I'm not even sure why the pastor signed off on us being married, because now that I've (laughs) done it and gone through it, they should have just told us, absolutely not, abort mission, do not pass Mm -hmm. go. So yeah. where it makes sense in our conversation, let's do that. But keep going. Pick it up. Okay. Um, actually, th- it actually fits perfectly kind of okay. right here. So we did the the church assessment, noticed some things. I don't even, that was so long ago. I don't remember what happened, but I do remember that we still, because I it was really important to me to do the premarital counseling and like Mm -hmm. I'm now I'm reading I'm engaged now so I'm reading all the books 100 questions you should ask before you get married do this before you get married do that before you get married and so I said we have to find someone who can give us premarital counseling because I was new to Maryland so and that's something to keep in mind too him and I both were not in our communities we're both not with family. We're both not with friends. So that was another piece. He doesn't see how I operate with my family. I don't see how he operates with his family. And so the pastor that he had where he was before gave us premarital counseling. But even with that, it it gave us, in hindsight, it probably gave us enough to last for about six months, <laughs> maybe because his was, it was so simple. It was, you know, what are your priorities? These are the five things. And I want you to put these one through five and, and do this and, and do that. And, and we did those and we said, okay, well, that's something for y'all to talk about because we were vastly different. And so for me, it was me first. Uh, well, of course, God, me spouse, him was, uh, God, him, spouse. And then there was some other things that we kind of differentiated between the two. And, you know, he was like, yeah, y'all should talk about that. But he didn't kind of guide us into the conversation of how we should. And we're like, okay, great. Yeah, exactly. And there was a book that we were, that we were kind of following. I I forgot what it was called. I think it was called I marriage, something like that, but it was talking about really thinking about the other person. And so we would go through the questions together and we did all the things and as we were getting together, keep in mind, we're still, we're engaged now, but we're also living together because he just kind of popped up on me. And I was, I felt bad about, I didn't want to be like, well, you can't stay here. And you drove 20 plus hours to, to get here. So we're still living with each other all of this time against, of course. So you just magically, me. deliciously found yourself with a, in-home partner because he drove up mm-hmm, popping mm-hmm. the question yes yes and I will sounds and, dangerous <laughs> you're telling me <laughs> <laughs> but but this is the thing and this is one of the this is one of the flags that I missed or one of the assumptions that I made was well I've known him since 2006 we got engaged in 2011 married in 2012 so 
even though the last time I saw him was 2006 and the next time I saw him was 2011, in my mind, I'm like, oh, but I've known him for over six years. I've known him for a certain amount of time. Oh, you knew of him. Correct. (laughs) I know that now. Right. (laughs) Listen, all the lessons that we are- Yeah, all the lessons. (laughs) Giving you all. I I think, Takara, if I'm not mistaken- you might be the only client who I've had whose messaging is similar to mine in terms of you and I don't mind being uh, a living sacrifice in some ways. Mm-hmm. I ain't going to be a living sacrifice in all ways, but yeah. we don't mind being a living sacrifice in some ways with our story for other women to learn, to grow, to develop. Mm-hmm. So y'all listen, this is all hindsight. Be better than us. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, I think it's important to do that because I didn't get any lessons on dating. My grandma said, wait, very religious. She said, wait, love her to pieces. My dad said, wait, I feel like he just wasn't comfortable having the conversation. Even today, I feel like if I tried to start it up with my dad, he'd be like, okay, let's talk about something else. Yeah. The idea (laughs) of my daughter having sex. Oh my God. Yeah. And then, so uh, my mom I'm going to say when I was, I think I had just started college at 17. So when I moved away, I think she was, she asked me if I was having any urges and, uh, <laughs> did she say urges? Urges. <laughs> and so, uh, and then, you know, I, I got a, a quick lesson there on the, on the ovulation cycle and how to avoid pregnancy and things like that. And then. Well, that's yeah, a good I'm, lesson. Yeah. Yeah. So I I remembered that. And then the only, the only other piece that I had was she had met a boyfriend that I was dating when I was younger. She, she didn't like nothing about him. It was very clear to me that she didn't like nothing about him. And she was like, a man should be, cause I was driving at the time. He didn't have a car, you know, basically I'm driving him around. And she was like, well, does he get out the car and pump your gas for you when you do this? And does he do that? And is he offering to wash your car for you? I was like, well, why, why would he do that? That's, that's my car. Like that was my thinking. And so none of this marinated into my system because I was like, well, she don't like him no way. So what does it matter? But still her asking those questions while relevant on point, the fact Mm -hmm. that she had to ask them to you in that way Mm -hmm. and your response not like putting aside that she didn't like him just the fact that you couldn't even go well why does that matter like that's my car the fact that you weren't making those connections scream and this isn't judgment against your mom we often see where where we miss something or left a gap or hole yeah in assessment which means the task is over Mm -hmm. you know it's just (laughs) with parenting we go back and do this, you know, retroactive judgment. And I'm like, what? How is she supposed to, <laughs> you know, no. So, I mean, thank God for having a relationship with your parents, even as adults, because then they're able to see the holes and gaps and they do, you know, their mm-hmm. best to fill them as much as, as much as you allow. But the fact that you couldn't make that connection to me is like, oh, mommy, oh, mommy, yeah. we missed something here because that should easily resonate. But it was also because I had never seen it. So I had never seen my mom with anyone. My parents broke up. They they weren't married. So my parents broke up when I was two. And then from there, I was always with my mom during the school year. 
and my dad during the summer. And, you know, my mom was always, you know, trying her very best to make sure that go to school, make good grades Mm -hmm. so that you can get a good job. And so that was always the focus. It wasn't on dating. It wasn't on boys. It wasn't on, it wasn't on none of that. So those weren't the type of conversations that we had, nor was I able to witness an interaction between her and another man. Like the only time I really saw some type of interaction was during the summer. And that was in watching my grandparents. That's the only example that I have to go off of, which was also why I was so hell-bent on saying, we need premarital counseling because I don't know what marriage looks like. Do you think that weakens parental credibility? I know I, I have a concern with that, with my own children, but if you don't perceive your parent, in this case, your mother, as having a lived experience with something, then their ability to speak on the matter and try to impart something to it in your life. It's its not an issue of respect. I respect mommy and what she has to say. And I'm pretty sure whatever she's saying has some goodness or some truth to it. Mm-hmm. That's not the thing. It's just, we do at that, we start the ability to critique information as early as like 10, 11, 12. And then we continue it, right? As we okay. gain our own experiences mm-hmm. and really judge and observe other people's lives. And then with that brings this issue of credibility. So do you think it weakens parental credibility? Like, well, I get what you're saying and maybe it has some goodness of truth. I know you, you're my mom, you will always look out for me, but I don't know that what you have to say in this part of my life or in this life event really has any weight here. What do you think? Honestly, I think it depends on the setting and the context. So Mm -hmm. I feel like if you tell me early before I've come across this situation, I mean, I don't have nothing to go by. I'm, I'm going based off of your experience and I'm going based off of what you feel is best. Like the same reason why you told me I need to go to school, make good grades and get a good job. That's what I'm going to do because you told me that was best. But if you tell me that later and then after the fact, then I'm kind of like, well, why didn't you tell me this 10 years ago, five years ago? Like, why didn't you tell me this before I got in this situation? Now I really like this guy. And you don't like him. And now I have a problem with you because you don't like him. (laughs) Right. And now the advice just seems convenient. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's what, that's kind of how all of that came into play. And then the beginning, we're still in marriage, right? Okay. So engagement, marriage. So once we get married, that was rough. (laughs) What part was rough? The vows or the, going home, the honeymoon? It was all of it. All of it was rough. And this is, again, this is going back Let going back to the church topic that we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. because um, when I had gotten married, I was abstaining for quite a while. And so the only way for me to be able to get through <laughs> was for me to say, oh, I shouldn't be doing this this is bad. This is bad. This is bad. This is bad. So in my mind, I'm equating sex to being bad. So when we finally, when we do get married, I'm thinking this is going to be a very easy switch. I can finally have sex again. Yes, let's go. And it was not easy. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, it was not easy. And no one no one explained this to me. No one said, hey, yeah, there's a cert- there is a, a healthy way uh, and that's that's my message now. There is a healthy way to abstain and there was a very unhealthy way to abstain. And so 
I was abstaining in a very unhealthy way by saying, this is bad. This is bad. Lord, take the urge away, Jesus, please. You know. <laughs> oh, Lord, let's retract now. Come on, Jesus. Don't don't take away urges. Just help me better right. manage them. I, exactly. Because I was like, well, I never pray that again. And so... <laughs> Like, honey, we just going to have to deal. We're going to do something, but we not going to pray that again. But it took so long for, for even me, just for the, even for that mind shift, just to click over to say, no, this is okay. You're, you're yeah, because mindsets now. don't just click. Exactly. They don't undo themselves. Exactly. The exchange of vows. Exactly. There's a psychology <laughs> that I think, now I don't know where to throw the ball. But there's a psychology that either religion is absent-minded to, or that's truly their intent. I don't, I'm not going to throw that ball either way, but there is a psychology that has to be spoken about. You are a human being. You mm -hmm. will experience messaging and conditioning mm -hmm. and socialization. And that does inform your thoughts, your moods, your emotions, and becomes your mindset and your beliefs. And that filter through which you take in information and decide how you want to relate to it or engage with it, if at all. But let me make sure I have what you're saying correct. So you're a new wife. You're not a virgin new wife. No. But just an abstaining new wife. Correct. So you had not had sex with your husband. Correct. E.H. Correct. Not just in the period of your courtship, but like at all? Correct. Okay. So you're having sex with him for the first time mm -hmm. inside of matrimony. Mm -hmm. If this messaging is that sex not in marriage is bad, then the other side of that is, well, then sex in marriage is good. And so you go into your vows, you go into your matrimony going, I am going to be able to instantly make the connection because sex is good in marriage. And mm -hmm. you're saying... There, the psychology behind it didn't allow for the opposite side of that experience to ring true immediately. Correct. Okay, go ahead. Yep. So uh, that's exactly what happened. So we struggled quite a bit with, of course, with that portion of it. And then on top of that, again, trying to be, you know, still, still being in my role of independence, woman type of thing. So I'm doing things around the house, but I'm not asking for help. I'm not, I'm not including him. And so we did not make this change, of course, in engagement. But once we were married, it was almost, it's almost like I made the assumption, hey, sex is going to be great. It's going to be good. Everything is just going to fall in place. We've done premarital counseling, all is well. And then it was like, he made the assumption hey, everything is going to be good. She's finally going to fall back. She's going to let me be like the man of the house and ask for my help and, you know, do all the things because he came from a two-parent household. So he'd seen that all his life, whereas I hadn't. So I'm climbing on counters and, and everything else. And I'm not asking for his help because this is what I'm used to doing. And he's like, do you need help? Oh, no, it's good. I got it as I got one foot hanging off the countertop. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I'm so you're not just not asking for his help. You're declining when he offers. I'm, I'm also declining. Yes. So I'm also declining. And, you know, he's like, well, I feel like you're not allowing me to help. And one of the crucial mistakes that I know that I made that did a lot of damage in the very beginning 
was um, he said, I feel like you don't need me. And I was like, well, I don't. I mean, I don't need you because I, I mean, I can do all this by myself, but I love you. I mean, I want you here, but I don't need you. So I, that was very, and I didn't realize the damage that I had made with that statement until years later. And you know, you know what they say, like when a, when a man is very vulnerable with you in a moment, you only have that time to respond time. correctly. Right. And after that, it's, it's downhill it's from there. Yeah. yeah. And so I know that I did a, a lot of damage with that statement. And I don't even feel like we probably recovered from that, even in the slightest way till probably six or seven years in. Yeah. Takara. Woo. You just gave me chills because we sign up for this lifelong commitment. And in most cases, that's what we mean. We have it in our heart to do that um, from the, the jump. What we don't understand is all of what it takes mm-hmm. to actually live out that long life commitment. And then there's just no way to understand the future. You know, you don't know what's going to happen to you, with you, whatever. But this equation of, hey, it took you probably seconds to utter the sentence. In years for it to be, you said recovered in the slightest way. So we're mm-hmm. not even talking about full restoration and redemption. Just mm-hmm. like we can breathe in here <laughs> as yeah. it relates to this issue now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Six to seven years. Yeah. Um, a minute. I don't remember the exact biblical uh, verse or anything like that, but I, I do remember the biblical understanding. Um, but something something similar to um, something being sevenfold or seven times over. Um, mm-hmm. And you just made me remember that with this statement because so much damage is done. And six, seven years, like literally sevenfold from those those seconds. And I know in my experience, I will say, Men tank marriages with their actions. Women tend to tank marriages with their words Mm -hmm. because of the way that we are designed. There's complementation in that, right? But for, you have to think about where you are strong at, the other gender partner is less strong in that area. So women are very, very strong in communication. Mm-hmm. We're communicative, we're conversationalists, we can pick up on tones and energy, like communication and not even communication so much that we are just as good at it with nonverbal communication, like the entire spectrum. Women are really, really good with it. And our male counterparts, while you can find an individual man here and there that might be better than a certain individual woman, as a group, it pales in comparison. But that is where, because they are not as strong in this verbal and nonverbal communication, but let's just go with verbal for now. They're not as strong. That's also where they can experience the most hurt, the most pain from their female partner. The other way for Mm -hmm. uh, men, it's like, I'm going to be hurt by what you do because I know men are more conditioned, more designed to be the doers, like the the action-based. And so 
men take marriages based on their actions, women take marriages based on their words. And so you're saying you didn't understand the gravity of it, obviously. But nonetheless, right? Ignorance doesn't stop you from consequence, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Right. You didn't understand the gravity of it, but nonetheless, you're saying those words, how would you say it? Maybe like broke his 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 spirit or dispirited him or hurt him in some way. How would you describe it? Yeah, that's what I that's what I would say. I would say it in hindsight, because again, sure. I di- I didn't say it out of malice. I didn't um it wasn't like to be mean or to be rude. Like honestly, this was just kind of like a very matter of fact thing, but just of course thinking back a man who wants to be a provider, a man who wants to cover his wife, cover his household, to then hear you say, to hear his wife say, I don't need you, that goes against, and I, I just read this the other day, like the the six, like the six critical needs of a human, significance is one of them. And yes. with significance, you need to like it's a must that I feel needed and wanted. Um and so that was our dynamics for that. It was a must that he felt needed and wanted. And so for me to say that just kind of threw it all out the window. Can you um, maybe do a little distinguishing? Because there's a lot of messaging on uh, the internet. Shout out <laughs> to social media. There's a, a lot of messaging where people are saying, um, I don't want to need a man. Or, and I don't want a man to need me. Like they just want it to be based off of pure desire and pure want. But I did see one creator, he's male, that said, he, he gave a really good take on needing and brought a different perspective to it. And I'm like, yeah, you know, a little bit more of that. And we're not talking about a need as in a dependency mm-hmm. or even a codependency. So can you give us some distinction when you say need, especially as it relates to that significance? I'm glad you brought that up because that (laughs) is exactly where it lives. It's not the dependency and the codependency. Mm -hmm. It is the need to feel significant and the need to feel significant is a need. I don't know why we have a problem with saying (laughs) we have needs. I know it kind of communicates a vulnerability but that's the point we are vulnerable to each other because we need each other for relationship and connection and community right so give us distinction with the way you're using the word need so the way that i'm using the word need is community that's the best way that i'm going to be able to say it community and intimacy so you have to know that you can trust one another with your heart with your feelings with whatever it is that you are thinking. And so even though the example that I'm giving is very simple with me not allowing him to help me uh, bring a jar down, that's not what it was about. That's of course this very surface, but we all live in community. We all need one another. We're not meant to live life alone. People don't want to die alone. That's why people got friends and groups and communities and all the things. And so if the only time a man can be open and vulnerable, or at least he feels safe enough, hopefully is with his partner or with his wife, then you are meeting a need that he has. And so to me, the moment you say, I don't need you, then it's almost like, okay, well, why are we here? It's a form of rejection. Yeah, it is. And and rejection emotionally and personally hurts men. Mm-hmm. I think obviously as the 
the group that are usually the the providers, the protectors, the proposers, the initiators. I think you've got to come to grips with everybody isn't going to want your initiation or your proposal or your advances. And so you need to do your own personal work for how you are going to uh, respond and remedy rejection in your life because it just comes with that. Mm -hmm. However, I do think that women, female humans, can be sensitive to the fact that rejection does personally hurt men and there's a way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So so we we have all of that. Um, and then in between that, we to me, our marriage was and we you know, a roller coaster. We go up and then we go down and then we go up and then we go down and then we go up and then we go down. And so and keep in mind I'm still in the military. We're moving around everywhere mm. so we so from maryland we move again to my to my next assignment now keep in mind he is not in the military at this time so now now that i've done this first i'm just going to call it a violation so now that i've done this first violation we now move to another place which means he has to find another job which means I am the one that's carrying the family in which for me, I didn't mind, um, but I'm the one carrying the family. So now this is also having a weight on him because now he doesn't feel that he is contributing the way that a man should because he's he's got to find a new job. He's got to find a way to do this and find a way to do that. And wasn't extremely, he wasn't too happy, you know, with these circumstances, which was, one of my main concerns, because I said, hey, I mean, you 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 were in the military. You know what you're signing up for. You know, we at least going to ride this out for at least another four years. Can you handle this? So that was one of the, the discussions that we had. And I think that just kind of started to get to him as well. There were some other relationship violations that took place <laughs> um, in between that time. And so now we're finally, we're we get to now we're moving again and now we're in Germany and another country. But this was the best time that we had had because now we're starting. I feel like now this is a time we're finally starting to grow into each other. We're, we're recovering. We're, we're starting to mature. We're doing all the things. And I'm like, <laughs> I think we're going to make this. Now I didn't know in year one, two, three or four. I said, but I don't know. I think, that we actually might have a shot at this because we we were actually separated before we had gone to Germany. So I told I told myself if I get on this plane and he's not with me, I know that this is done. And so last minute he's like, "Hey, I want this to work. I want us to you know do these things together." So off we ride off to another country, and <laughs> but honestly did like when I tell you that was like the best that we we were able to communicate we were able to have fun it it was good the sex was good say again the sex was good did you get the mojo back yeah yeah every everything was going good um and then towards the end of that assignment um he started just to kind of slip back into some old patterns and I said oh come come on not this again I know we're not gonna do this again and um, so when we got back to to the States and I get, I get all my stuff, you know, 
got you got to move every three years. You're packing up all your stuff. And so I'm going through my boxes and I decide to go through my journals because I've been journaling throughout this entire experience. <laughs> I didn't realize it, but I started journaling from the time that we got engaged all the way through. So I have nine years worth of journals from our, from everything. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm reading the journals and I'm reading it and I'm looking at it. And I said, wait a second, there is a pattern here that you have not noticed this entire time. And so as I'm reading through the journals, I'm noticing that I was the one doing all the work. I was the one trying to make sure that the marriage stayed afloat. I was the one that was trying to uh, make sure we got the counseling and and do this and do that and make sure we stayed on top. I was the one doing all the forgiving just because I wanted to make sure that we stayed married. I didn't want a divorce under my belt. I wanted to be the example because, you know, we we were kind of like the youngest couple. There weren't too many married people in my family. And so I'm like holding on basically for dear life. And I'm like, but why? Why are you, you if be this a is the pattern? generational curse breaker? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then you realize, oh, I'm about to start generational one. Generational <laughs> curses are not as easy as just saying it out loud. Exactly. Look, <laughs> or I'm about to continue one. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, seriously. That yeah. can... Wait a minute now. We got to take a small pause. <laughs> one, I want to give you your credit for the journaling because I, that's one of the first things I try to get my clients to do. Mm -hmm. Even if it's not written journaling, do some type of recording of your thoughts, your feelings, where you currently are. One of my good friends says to me often, Joyce mentioned you write that down. And he always says, our brains are really good with coming up with ideas, but they're not really good with keeping them all, right? Like mm -hmm. Correct. You, you sit in a session and your brain takes it all in, a couple hours later, it's going to dump. Mm -hmm. more of that a week later dump more of it and by the mm -hmm. time uh, enough time passes by you probably remember 10 percent of what legit happened so that stifles your ability to be reflective to have introspection because you don't have anything to look back on to assess to help you be better to see trends to see patterns those type of things and um you you mentioned the trends and patterns in your book which i absolutely love most of my most of my literary work and even some of my professional work is in being able to spot these trends and patterns because we're so busy. Some of us are so busy, like I'm going to be the generational breaker mm -hmm. when it comes yeah. to something. Mm -hmm. um, and so, well, if you're going to do that, you can't do it if you don't know trends and patterns. And so okay. we're making these claims, but don't know trends and patterns and then getting ourselves into things and finding out, ooh, ooh them trends and patterns are a lot more powerful yeah. than your... Uh, <laughs> provocation that you were gonna be something that that's one side of it but regardless whether you ever said i'm gonna be a generational curse breaker or not you are born into a lineage the lineage has a legacy the mm -hmm. legacy tells stories and mm -hmm. those stories are being told because people have made decisions or have had realities and those things perpetuate yeah <laughs> i mean it's, it's very important for you to to know like history and, and where family comes from. Because I think too, we can get so hell bent on saying, I don't want to be like this person. I don't want to repeat this or do this, but we don't do the work or research that's required for us to not do that thing 
Mm-hmm. And we just walk in our regular pattern and not knowing that that's actually what's going to lead you straight to whatever you're gonna it is. You're going to you're gonna walk right into the very thing you say you don't want to be because it yes. takes more than just your determination mm-hmm. and your declaration. Exactly. You, ha- you have to have a body of knowledge in history. And then you have to be able to understand how those things, trends and patterns, I'll just say it's more than that, but that's a leading factor. Mm-hmm. You have to understand how those things evolve how they perpetuate, what what that looks like. And then you have to, as an individual, go, what's my portion? It's not on you to fix everything in your lineage, but you can take one thing and usually you have an infinity for or a propensity Mm -hmm. for, and you speak about purpose as well, which hopefully if we don't run out of time, we can get to. (laughs) But okay, so you have been reflective because you have nine years of journaling. You pick up on this trend and pattern and that leads you to do... Yes. So once I'm, I'm seeing this and so I ask myself, okay, do you want another nine years of this? Would you be happy and would you be satisfied in a marriage if nothing else changed? Can you do this? And my answer was quick. Nah, I can't, I can't do it. And so we, him and I, we had a a heart to hearts discussion about that and and most of the issues that we've had, his response was flight. And so um, he said, okay, well, you know, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna go to my parents' house and I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do that. But as we were talking about it, he he was saying, but I'm gonna show you that I can be the person, I, I can show you that I am the man that you're looking for. And these are all the things that I'm gonna do while we're sep- while we're separated so that you can see it. And I said, okay, great, great. And so I sat back, I watched, I observed, and I observed the same patterns. There was no change. There wasn't anything. And I said, Takara, you want to be with a man that you know, that you can trust, and that you know that has your back. And so if you're dealing with a man now who said, I'm going to prove to you that I can be the person that you need, you want, and he knows how important it is but he's still breaking promises and he's still not doing any of the things that he says. And then, and I watched him do this for not for three months. He did this. And then he called one day and he said, Hey, I feel like I'm slipping back into my old patterns. I'm going to come back home. And I said, you have no home. You can't, you can't come back here. And then, so that is when we uh, officially decided to, that's when I decided anyway, that I was going to file for a divorce. And so as soon as I did that, I got into therapy because I was like, I'm gonna need some help. <laughs> I'm gonna need some help. And I think what people don't consider too is because we were separated, he was outside of the home. I'm in the home. So I'm in the home processing all of this, but I'm still, I see all our pictures. I see all the things, like I'm still surrounded in my marriage environment. And I think that takes, that can really take a toll on a person. And I don't think that's something that we consider. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a huge toll. And especially I left Atlanta and went to DC um, for a host of reasons. But one of them, I was still in the marital home. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we're talking about, I had filed, we had gone to hearing. So this isn't like you're in the emotional sweeping of, deciding on the separation or taking the legal action for the separation and you're in that space 
because that could be a little bit more, okay, a little bit more resolved. I'm talking about, no, we are committed to this being done. It's just a matter of um, my docket coming up, like my case coming up in the judge's docket, and that takes time. Um, And until that, I am stuck in this home because you, I am the person with the children and I can't present any instance of instability until my ink is dry, you know, type thing. Mm -hmm. So I am in this marital home and mail comes, phone calls still come, all things that have our names attached to it, Mm -hmm. or even just his name. And I'm trying to be over it. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to process and go through it, but you can't because you keep being re triggered i guess it's gonna be the word traumatized (laughs) yes with all these things and it's like you know it's been a good day it's been six weeks and i really ain't thought about this person outside of for me i know you didn't have children in yours but outside of having to bus children back and forth it's great and then i walk out to my mailbox and get a piece of mail and i'd spiral back six weeks you know like (laughs) people do not Mm -hmm. understand the gravity so when 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 women, I'm going to say women, not because it's true to just us, but because I'm speaking to my reality as the woman, we were like, you know what? I just want to walk all the way away from it. I just want to be at peace. I want to be whole. I don't want to be re-traumatized or re-triggered. I don't want memories alone being a reason I can't cope. Like yeah. something triggering a memory, not you just having mm-hmm. your own personal memory being a reason why I can't cope. So I'm just going chill but you're right the person it looks like a victory for the person sitting inside of the marital home and maybe it is in some other ways but psychologically and emotionally it's a beast yeah (laughs) very very much so and then even as you're going through the process once you once the ink is dry if you decide you gotta you gotta change your name i was renting out a house and so and he was very, uh, EH was very outgoing. He was, everyone knew him, barely anyone knew me. And so everyone's asking, well, where, where is he? How's he doing? And the landlord is asking me the same questions. I'm I'm getting all his mail. And I'm like, if I got to tell somebody one more time, one more time that I got to change an account because of a divorce and my, my, I keep crying, I can't even get it out. I'm like, I can't talk to these people for more than two minutes at a time. It can be very overwhelming. So I was- the first thing that I did was found somewhere else to stay because <laughs> like, I have got to get out of here. I'm like, I have to put this stuff away. And he did come and, and um, he did come and get some of his things. We made arrangements for, you know, how we would split things, how we would or whatever. But, you know, I still got all these pictures. I'm a picture person. I, I got all these pictures and I'm like, girl, what you going to do with these pictures? You're going to keep them. You're going to burn them. So I'm going through all my pictures and I'm not, I'm separating pictures now. Like, okay, you don't need these. You can keep these because, you know, it's got your grandma in there. You know, she's got your people in there. So in going through that process, I, I really needed to, to move in and kind of go through that. And my ther- and I kept my therapist all the way up until about a month after my divorce. And I think she was very instrumental in that to really just kind of help me process and kind of make my way through. So then that way, when I did finally get to you, (laughs) I was in a place that, that at least I was ready because I had processed all those things and I wasn't coming from like a place of hurt, anger, or resentment. 
Okay, love bugs, Takara and I will be right back after this short break. We could have a whole other podcast episode called The Pictures. It was something that I dreaded. Mm-hmm. I dreaded going through that exercise. I mean, I held it off so long. I was literally moving in with Jeremiah and I was like, all right, we got to start out on a clean slate. I got to get these, but I did not want to do it. It took another life event to call me into action. And only because I didn't want to take one energy into the other thing. If it wasn't that mm-hmm. type of life event, I probably would have <laughs> just, it took me so long. And I remember saying to Jeremiah, I don't know, I might need emotional support today. I might be good, but I'm going to go in this room and I'm going to sort through every picture of my life of the past 13 years. And I'm going to once and for all nip this mm-hmm. And it. For me, because I had children, I had three piles. Pictures that I'm going to keep for me. Pictures that just need to be thrown away because <laughs> I don't want to tell the story. I don't want to be asked. These just right. need to go bye bye. Mm-hmm. And then these pictures are for my sons. And I remember the day I like wrapped up all those pictures and I gave um, the bulk of them to my oldest son. And I said to him, I believe as a child, you deserve to have pictures of your parents. Absolutely. You deserve to have pictures of your parents together, seeing us together and what our lives look like, even if it was before your memory. Like you deserve to have these pictures and I'm not going to let the fact that I don't ever want to see them again, keep you from having this. Mm-hmm. However, I want to be very honest. That was mommy. Now this is the woman that just happens to be your mother. I don't want to see these pictures. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I mean, it was the same thing. I was still preparing myself. Cause I said, well, I know that I enjoyed marriage. I, I mm-hmm. know that I want to be married again, mm-hmm. but I can't, I can't take all this stuff with me. So as soon as I moved into my new place, that was one of the first things that I did was I went through those pictures and I like, okay, keep these. You don't need these, throw these out, get rid of all of these. And so even still, I still had to separate my pictures. Cause I'm like, well, they, they have no use. They have no use. And so that, I mean, that was one of the, the good things is that we did not have children. And I was glad that we didn't because I said, I, I didn't want to take a child through that process either. So yeah. that was one of the things that I was like, okay, well, there's the blessing in that. And I'm the only one who has to kind of process this. I don't have to try to bring some, another child along to process and have them go through that as well. Listen, because all three of these are happening at the same time. You processing yourself, your child is processing his or herself, and then you have to help your child process. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't wish it on anybody. Yeah, exactly. And and keep in mind too, this also happened during the pandemic. So that was, that was a whole nother level of, of loneliness, even in that, because mm. I really couldn't even talk to my neighbors because everybody was walking across the street. So even if I went outside to be social, I still wasn't able to be social. And I'm in a, we, we had, keep in mind also, we had just moved. So when I tell you that loneliness was unlike any other um, heaviness that I had ever experienced, that was on, I could not wait. I was I was so happy when that was done and over with. Cause I said, I have never experienced anything like this in my life. 
So are you saying you were processing your divorce or kind of going through it all compounded with the pandemic? Correct. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's two layers. And, and we had just moved to a new place. So there there was- Three layers of loneliness. Correct. Or isolation. You don't quite feel like you belong. Right. right. Well, hold on. You're departing from a marriage with that emotional mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Then you don't feel like you belong in your community. And whether you did- or not, you don't have access to them anyway. Correct. I want to give you a hug, but that <laughs> the stuff that we go through. <laughs> yeah, wow, that was, that was I didn't realize that. My goodness. Well, thank God for therapy. <laughs> thank God for therapy. Thank God for dating coaches. Thank God for. <laughs> Thank God for uh for all of it. So I mean, and that was something too. It it in a ways it was a blessing because it was like, okay, I need to get outside. <laughs> I need to go meet people. And I said, Well, what does the dating scene look like now? And I'm like, I, I've had the therapy. I, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm walking around like a, a bitter Betty or anything like that. And then so, you know, that's when I, I come across you and I'm like, you know what, I, I like. I like what she's talking about. I like it because again, historically, I know that I can be harsh with my words unintentionally. And uh, it's funny because when I, when I describe you to my friends, I was like, she teaches me how to speak, man. I really like it. I really like it. (laughs) (laughs) I never got that one before. (laughs) I was like, she, I was like, she's got such a smooth way of, I was like, she really helped me because uh, I remember a situation. You told me, girl, you did what? I, <laughs> I handled the situation all wrong um, where I was uh, telling you about uh, a guy and, and multiple dating and, and things like that. And you said, well, you know, that question he asked you was rhetorical, right? You weren't really supposed to answer the question. And I was like, well, why would he ask me then if he really didn't want to know the answer? I mean, I don't really <laughs> understand. She said, no, think about this. And then once you broke it down to me, about uh again how I have completely demolished a man's need for significance I said oh oh now I get it now I get it so anyway yeah shout out to you match Mary May and Joyce uh because let me tell you if she don't do nothing else she will teach you how to speak man so that you can speak to these men the right way so that you can be feminine yet firm in your boundaries and what you need to say she has gathered me all up all right so we have the beginning we have the middle i think we're winding down to the end you returning to dating and writing your book but before we make that transition if you could just name i would love for other listeners especially black women to hear some of the red flags that you overlook because one of the things that you have shared with me I think I can say publicly. One of the things that you shared with me is that some of the red flags you knew before you married, you just Mm -hmm. overlooked them and kept going. Mm -hmm. And I don't want Black women to do that. So I really want you to spend some time saying these things were red flags. I knew it before I married and I married anyway. And tell us why you did that. Okay, go. Okay. So the the major red flag was inconsistencies. And it was in, maybe he would tell me a situation happened this way. And then we would talk about it a little bit more and that's not how this situation happened. Or 
I would tell someone else about it because it seems so bizarre. And I'm like, have you ever heard of this? This is so weird. And then someone else would, you know, do the research and they're like, girl, that ain't right. So then I would go back and I would say, hey, I actually looked into it. And it's, it said, and then that's when he would change the story. Oh, well, you know, I actually met, I'm like, okay, flag number one. <laughs> well, actually, soup, but the another one was, <laughs> I I called him Mr. Indecisive to my girlfriends. I said, girl, you know, today he talking about he want to do this. And now he talking about he want to do this. And now he talking about he want to do this. And for whatever reason, it just never computed to me that, okay, if you have already spotted that this man is indecisive, what make you think he going to have it together by the time that y'all get married? But in my mind, I was like, well, I mean, clearly he's got a plan in place. <laughs> clearly he's asked me, you know, to, to marry him and, and do all these, do all so these. So you just things. assumed a plan by the all assumption, all assumption. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no wonder you emphasize that clearly. I'm like, well, if it's so clear, where was it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It it was all all assumption. Um, and then when when he came to Maryland, he had no clear plan then either. So it was almost like he just had kind of like, again, the planner, he had just kind of up and left with no plan. So then I had to kind of help support a little bit during that time. And I, and then that should also should have been, okay, well, if he's making major life decisions without any planning, no, no backup, no fallback, no, any of that. Okay. That's an issue. That's an issue as well. And so why did I continue on, even though I saw these red flags? I believe it was, well, let me, let me not say I believe, because I, I I thought about it a lot, like, okay, girl, well, why did you? And so he was the very, he was the first man who came to me um, and he was intentional as far as letting me know that he was interested. He was the very first one who came to me and said, your career is not an issue for me. Because I'd heard a lot about that too. He was the first one who had said, I will move with you. I will go with you wherever it is that you go. So I was, at that time, I was really just looking for someone to say that they wanted to be all in with me. And he was the very first one who said that he wanted to be all in and kind of did the gestures, if you will, to to say that, that that's what he was going to do. But then also I gave him the playbook. And I was so, just getting ready to say that, but it sounds yeah. like, okay, so let's back up because he had the intention. Mm -hmm. What he didn't have was the character to support it. Correct. Or the skill to sustain it. Also correct. <laughs> okay. And this is important. I did um, an interview with Alexandra in season two like the power of your no or something like that, where we really had to weigh, I know you like the guy. I know he's a good guy. I know he has good intentions. He's presenting very much like how you are presenting EH, but mm -hmm. that alone does not equal give this man my yes. Whatever the yes is, whether it's a yes because to sleep with him, to move in with him, to marry him, to push out his kid. Mm -hmm. I don't, it could be a variety of proposals on the table, but that doesn't, necessarily mean that there has to there has to be some character there has to be some skill 
I like to see that you have the skill as a man to do it all by yourself, right? Because what have you been doing this entire time with your adulthood before I came along? And me being able to observe and witness that is going to help me make good assessments and judgment calls about if you can do that for an us. And you're saying the intention was so attractive. It was so alluring. And I needed to hear those things that somehow, I don't know if it was on purpose or if it was subconscious, but because you were getting that, it caused you to overlook the fact that character and skill were lacking. Right. Yeah. It caused me to overlook it because again, he's very, um, He's very charismatic. And so there was nothing that he was doing to me that seemed to be of ill intent. And it was just like, oh, okay, well, I'm pretty sure that this is something that that we can work through. And then even when I was going through your course, I realized, oh, that's that's what I did because I was looking at potential. So, you know, we asked the questions, well, what do you want to do in the next five years? Where do you see yourself? He could answer that all day. But the question that I didn't ask, well, what have you done in the past right. to get to this point? I'd never asked that question, but even then with what I, with the knowledge that I was operating with at the time, I think even if I still asked the question, it probably would not have changed, you know, my decision to get married. Yeah. Because you had a mindset. Yeah. Right. And one nugget of information doesn't shut down an entire mindset. And even if it did, you're not operating in it immediately, right? It takes time Mm -hmm. to update what you knew and what you currently know and kind of get them um, aligned or canceled out depending on what it was. So I just want to, for listeners, your red flags, inconsistency, indecisiveness, and lack of planning. Yes. And then your quote unquote mistake within it was the assumptions that you made about what, who you thought he was or what the things that you saw meant. Yeah, the assumption uh, the assumption that I made of how a man would operate in marriage, just kind of some of the discussions, you know, that we had had before, I said, oh, well, you know, if he wants to provide and do this and do that and do that, then I know that he's going to do whatever is necessary to sustain this household and do what's required. So that was the assumption, although we never had the conversation. It was again, that underlying current of of what we thought would happen once we crossed the threshold. Yeah, I'll be a wife, you'll be a husband, and this is just what wives and husbands do. Correct. Type thing. Okay, that's that sounds good. Thank you so much for clarifying and detailing that out <laughs> for us. Okay, return to dating. I know you already spoke about therapy, finding me, etc. And then you went into writing a book. So get, get the timeline for us. You returned to dating and then you wrote the book. You always had the book on your heart post-divorce. How did that come about? So interestingly enough, I started writing the book when we had gotten back together. So when we had moved to Germany is when I started writing the book. And I had actually thought that this was going to be a book about how you could struggle in marriage how you could kind of go through hell and high water. And even though you did not start off the greatest, you could finish well. That is what I thought. Yeah, because you were feeling good in Germany. Yeah, that's what I (laughs) thought the intent of the book was going to be. And it's so interesting to me because I had gone to a church there. I had never met this lady before a day in my life. And um, 
she was like, hey, you know, the Lord said it's really time for you to to release your book. And I'm like, girl, y'all know, y'all know me in my life. What are you talking about? I didn't even tell nobody about this book. So who is to say if I had been obedient, maybe this would have been book number two. Um, I don't know. And that was kind of what the editor and I struggled with when we when we were kind of putting the pieces together, because I never intended for the divorce part to be in there. And I had already started the marriage. So I had already written the bulk of the book before my before we had even decided to separate. So now I find myself having to add in these extra pieces and they don't really go with the language that I was giving in the very beginning. Right, because the theme and, is completely different. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, how do how do I how do I do this? And that was why I had to kind of break it down into a part one and a part two. Like, yo, all of this, I wrote all of this when I was married. I'm like, I just need, I need to be clear with y'all on that because I, now that I'm giving you, cause I feel like people make the divorce, especially now seem like it's just such an easy process. Cause you see all these people having divorce parties and they're making cakes and they're burning wedding gowns and taking pictures and oh all goodness. of that. But I'm like, there's still some emotions that you have to process and go through. And so that was why I decided in my divorce chapter to write everything down real time. And so that was why I did that to give people a very realistic picture of what divorce looks like. And then I kind of kept that going um, in my podcast where I had like in, in the thick of it segments. So even though you've gone through the divorce, even though you've had the therapy, things will come up every now and then. And it was like, okay, how do I process this now? And then, so that was what, what I kind of did in my podcast. And then it got to a point where I was like, hey guys, there's not going to be any more in the thick of it episodes. I'm like, you know what? I, I honestly, I wish him well. And, you know, I, I give him, give nothing but love and good vibes and, and all the things I'm like, but I really feel like we are done processing now. And then, you know, and I think from that point, there was not another in the thick of it episode from that point. Wow. Yeah. You process, you let it go. You can't keep putting yourself back in the rat race, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I have a few things that I flagged in your book. Okay. (laughs) And I just want to ask you quick questions. Okay. I don't know if you'll have quick answers, but my questions are quick. (laughs) So at some point in your book, you say, as I get older, I understand more and more the importance of a male figure and their proximity. What's their importance? What have you learned? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let me see if I can be as quick and precise as possible. So like I said earlier in an interview, I saw my dad only during the summer and that's it. And so if you don't have a constant male figure around, you really don't have a a good example to, to choose or, or take from. And I did not hear from my dad very often. Again, that we didn't have no smartphones. Right. It was still AOL. There was no video chats. So, you know, I I spoke to my dad, but I still didn't have I didn't have the guidance. I didn't have um a male sewing into my life to say, "Oh, you're so pretty. You're you're whatever it is that a little girl loves to hear." I did not get that from my father, except for maybe 90 days out of the 365 days. And I still wasn't getting it all 90 days that I saw him. So to me, you're saying that's not enough. Like I had access to my father every summer. And while that was fun and I enjoyed it and I know who my dad is, there is some Mm -hmm. identity that you have, obviously it just wasn't enough. You needed constant steady porn. 
Correct. Wow. All right. See, men are valuable, y'all. Just want y'all to hear are. They are. <laughs> okay. You gotta, you, have, you gotta have both sides. You have to have both sides. You say, we as women need to start telling our story. For far too long, our community has been keeping too many secrets. We suffer from our lack of knowledge. Now, I want to couple that with one of my favorite um, authors, teachers, spiritualists, Sambufu Some. I spoke about her work um, in my coaching practice as well as on this podcast before. But when it comes to community, because you also said we didn't have community, I didn't see his family, how he operated, you know, all those things. I want to quote her and situate it in that and then ask you my question. She says, when you don't have a community of friends and family involved in a relationship, it makes you base all of your intimate expectations on your marriage. When people get their friends and family involved, they can make intimacy work. Keeping everything private usually kills a relationship. And when I ask you, well, what was going on earlier in the interview, you immediately said intimacy and community. And her work is all about intimacy and community. And you mentioned um, telling our stories, not keeping so many secrets or keeping everything private. So how did, how, you are now encouraging women to not be that way. Why? What consequence have you suffered where you're like, yeah, maybe that's not the best way to go about this? <laughs> Lucas in the entire book. Um, but <laughs> I, I feel like when you are around a community, it just makes you wiser because one of the things that I like to say is everything doesn't have to be learned the hard way. We don't have to be school of the hard knocks all the time. Take this lesson that, somebody else had to learn. So I don't have to do it. And so, you know, even if I know, like I knew something was off to me in my mind, in my family, because I'm like, well, where are the men? So like on my mom's side of the family, there, nobody was married. I said, well, they exist. We have children. Where are they? <laughs> exactly. So I didn't, I didn't see a lot of men, but also I don't know what their story was behind that. I don't know if, what is it that is it because they were choosing a particular type of men? Is it because my family is known for choosing a particular type of men? I don't know why. And so I feel like if we start speaking up to say, hey, this is what I did. I was doing too much. I was giving too much. I didn't have any boundaries. I didn't have this. I didn't have that. At least now when I go into my relationship, I can say, this is a pattern in my family. And so now I know that I need to watch out for it. Even like the, the alcohol incident that we right. brought up earlier. If I know this is a pattern in my family, I'm going to be extremely careful now about how I choose to operate with this here substance. And I mean, relationship and love, it's like a drug too. So you still got to treat it the same way. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned in your book, you know, it took you over 35 years to finally get clear on your purpose. I meet a lot of women, as you can imagine, and definitely my clients and in my practice, they are desperate to find meaning. They are like, what is my purpose? How am I supposed to find out? I listen to a podcast every once in a while by Professor, Professor G. And he said, you know, humans, we're meaning makers. We have to find meaning in something that we're doing or going through for it to make sense to us. So 
do you mind telling us what is your purpose and some quick tidbits on how someone can figure that out? I would say that I have learned my purpose is number one, to create community, but then two, it is in sharing my experiences, literally like being a big sister to other women because we don't have it. Yes. We don't have a lot of people telling their stories. And honestly, that's why it took me a while to press publish. My book has been written for a long time, but it took me a while to press publish. So I said, is these people going to be looking at me crazy? Like, girl, you did all of that for the sake of a relationship. And, and you know, I always say, never say never, because you never know exactly what you're going to do in a particular circumstance. So my my purpose is to teach and mentor women just through life because I have learned in looking back, I've I've lived my life in polar opposites. So I can relate to just about any woman. I've lived in a single parent household, but I still have my father in my life. My mother was not religious at all. My father was extremely religious. I have moved from country to country. So I know what moving and adjusting, I know what all of that looks like. So I have lived just about every aspect of a woman's life that she will possibly go through in my now 40, <laughs> 40 years of, of living. So for me, that is my purpose. And I, I believe in order for you to find it, it, it's always there and it's always in repetition. It just comes to you in different ways. I've always had people coming to me, asking me for advice. I've always had people say, I give sound advice. Now, why I didn't get that to myself? I don't know, but I know <laughs> that I've always been able to give sound advice. So it's, Follow the patterns, follow the patterns of what you see, follow the patterns of the things in life that you have experienced, whatever it is, there is something that's going to weave all of that together. Yeah. The reason you didn't give it to yourself is one, you can't see yourself and two, professional hazard. Whatever you are really, 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 really good at, it tends to not be lacking, but not be as good as you teach it in your own life. Because mm-hmm. professional hazard is a thing. It's like, you know how when you go places and- I'm not talking about when a stylist is like done up on the night of town, but when you just go into your appointment, her hair always slipped back in a ponytail. It ain't never done. <laughs> yeah. Why? Because she's focusing on your head. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So you said, um, I used to think that there were two sides of dating, dating for fun and dating for marriage. You, that sounds like you were churched, even though you say your mother is not religious. Maybe your grandmother or your father gave that to you. Yeah. My, my grandmother and my father wasn't, interestingly enough, um, that has always resided just me being connected to a higher power has always resided in my spirit. So sure. even as even as a kid, when I was living with my mom, I used to call the church and have a church van come pick me up. Like I still went to church. I went to church without my mom. Got on the church van. The church okay. Van by myself. Like mommy, you you will be the only person not believing in God here. I'm going to church. <laughs> Exactly. And and, she would, and sometimes she would pick me up. But yeah, I went by myself. Okay. So you said you used to think. So you don't think that dating for fun or dating for marriage is like if you're speaking to a younger churched female audience, what would you say to them about this? So I believe a lot of us kind of grew up in this semi purity culture. I, I believe we're getting better at emphasizing both sides, but there was a point where everything was always geared towards marriage. That either, for me, I felt like the church was either teaching me how to be a good single woman 
or teaching me how to be or or say you need to be a good wife but there was no in between like i had classes on the, you know the 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 woman in the well the woman the well woman and all of that and unloosed and unchained and you know all of that but you're not taking me from point a to b like where is the in between nobody is teaching me how to date and so yes you you need both sides just point blank period because you want your marriage to be fun too and so how do you figure that out if you're not dating for the purposes of having fun, but yet and still interweaving some of those questions? And as you're having fun in the way that you have even shown us in your program, there is a way for us to ask a question that still gives us the exact answer that we're looking for, but it doesn't have to be so serious in nature. And I believe when you're solely focused on getting married, you stop at that when marriage continues and so if you're having fun and treating it as a process, then you continue to have the fun. And when you do get married, you continue to act as a student of your spouse. Because that was one thing that I didn't do. But as you continue to learn a person and, and if you feel like it's just ongoing, then I believe that just makes for a healthier relationship all around. Yeah, I love that answer. And you, you said... Um, you don't want to go into marriage and it not be fun, right? Neither do you want it, if I'm going to borrow from your story, neither do you want to take, neither do you want for it to take four years for you to get there. Mm, correct. Mm -hmm. Right? Because you were like, we were in four or five before you started going, okay, yes, we're having fun. We are, we're having sex. We're mm -hmm. enjoying each other um, because some people, won't make it that far. They won't make four years of, oh my God, what are we doing before they get to the, so to speak, goodness, if you will, mm -hmm. which is where you thought it was trending before you were like, right. Okay, never mind. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very good answer. Thank you. Okay, so let's close with putting you in our sacred sisterhood circle. It's a quick but intimate round of prompts that I'll feed you. You can simply reply with the closest truth in your heart in the moment. You ready? Ooh, okay. Okay. <laughs> What's your favorite word to describe Black women? Phenomenal. What's one affirming quality about Black men that you want them to know? Protectors. They just... When a black man is around, you just know ain't nothing crazy really about to go down. So, yeah. <laughs> What's one of your personal or feminine superpowers? That, you know what? One of my superpowers, I'm I'm a low-key comedian and you taught me how to spell it correctly. I'm a low-key comedian and I feel like that just kind of sneaks up on people and it can just lighten the mood of an entire space. At Match Mary May, we approach life and its events joyfully. Tell us one hard thing that's happened recently that you joyfully reframed. One hard thing that's happened recently you know what? I've had to, I have decided to reframe my story. Speak to a younger <laughs> Black woman in this moment and gift her with one thing you wish you knew or realized 10 years ago. That there is power in your choice. You have the right to say no. What's your greatest lesson learned from dating and relationships slash marriage? My greatest lesson learned in dating and relationships is that it is basically giving me an entire picture of myself. So you think that you're going in there to 
evaluate someone else, but honestly, it's giving you feedback of how I am navigating life. So it's taught me a lot about me. What's the best advice you've received as a woman? Honestly, the best advice I've received is that we are powerful. We hold life. So there is nothing that we can't do. There, There's whatever we want. We can have it. It's just in how we ask for it. <laughs> <laughs> As we learned earlier in the interview. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what a beautiful way to close out. Is there anything that you want to say to the Match Mary May audience before we sign out today? Well, I would just like to say, Joyce, thank you so much for inviting me to be a guest. I have truly enjoyed being on here and sharing my stories. And if you all would like to know like the serious hot tea, because we didn't go deep into it for the book, you can definitely find that um, on my website. And that is www.takara.com. That is T-A-C-C-A-R-R-A. Um, and that is where you can find my book. And that's also where you can find my podcast if you would like to know more tidbits on the things that I've learned. We're going to have you back, Takara, because I want to have, <laughs> it took this interview for me to hear the deeper things I want to discuss. And now that I have them, I'm going to have you back. You okay with that? Uh, I'm perfectly okay with that. I would love to be back. <laughs> we can have a grown lady conversation next time because I, I heard some things. <laughs> Okay, you all, to connect with Sakara, double C, double R, I love that. You can find her on Facebook and Instagram as Takara Renee on both platforms. I've read the book. You should grab a copy. I listen to the podcast sporadically. That's not any shade. I listen to all podcasts sporadically because <laughs> they're not my favorite thing to consume. But I do believe in supporting my clients when they have projects. So I have heard the podcast i have read the book and it is worthwhile so thank you so much to car for being here thank you we end every episode with thought or heart provoking questions for your journal journaling is simply prayers on paper and the most high tends to those too dear listener in what area of your life have you needed to hit the reset button? How do you choose to tell your new story? Have you forgiven yourself from your past or mistakes? How are you reinventing and re-emerging for your greatest good? What are you doing to choose self and live your life on purpose? It's okay to write about the blessings and the burdens. Pour it out into your journal today. Release yourself, free yourself, and most of all, be yourself. P.S. No woman is better at being you than you. If you're interested in my developing research or want to discuss the trends, patterns, or stories I observe daily in my coaching practice at your next event, you can reach me at hello at matchmarymate.com. Another thank you to Takara for spending time with me in the studio today and sharing her story with the Match Mary Mate audience. Today, I'll leave you with Takara's guiding mantra. Everything doesn't have to be learned the hard way. We can take the experience of others and choose a route that looks best for us to create a legacy that we can be proud of.
Thank you for joining me today and tuning into another episode of the Match Mary Mate Show. Until our next time together, love, light, and relationship. Remember, we grow as we go, and I'll be with you in the next episode. Cheers. Thank you.